Tuesday night edition of the show, we're going to continue Danny's Battle Plan series with the Pacific Division, and let's get right to it. I'm feeling some Marv nostalgia with all the, the Last Dance stuff. We actually haven't reacted to the last two. We should probably do that next week. But in any event, well, I'll, I'll give it. Yeah. I'll give the first part to you. Do you want to start with the good teams, or do you want to start with the bad team? I think the bad teams is better because there's more to say on those, particularly the uh, Kings and Suns. Why don't we get started here with the Phoenix Suns, looking at about twenty million dollars in cap space this offseason. Should they decide to move on from Dario Saric, who has a ten million dollar cap hold as a restricted? free agent and what sticks out the most to you about their situation we know Devin Booker is a pivotal part of the Suns core and there was some real growth from DeAndre Eaton this year it was unfortunate that he missed that extended time due to the suspension PED suspension but they did get some positive things there you know well enough that you're not going to draft a center or anything like that but and also I think they got some some positive you know Kelly Oubre I thought had had a really nice season but the challenge for me with Phoenix and this is a little bit different from like identifying their core but it's just how do they get from where they are right now to let's say a team that can win a round in the playoffs like I think that you know depending on the year especially if things had broken a little differently for them with health. Remember how they, they looked pretty good at stretches of this season to get into to, like, to get into the playoffs, to be like a six, seven, or eight seed. But to reach that next level, to be a, a threat, you know, to be a team that can win a series, could host a series, it's going to take, I think, more internal growth than external additions. But that's a lot to ask for this group. And they can do it. I mean, Devin Booker already took some big steps. Aiton's taken some steps. But I just wanted to kind of see where you thought where you thought the internal improvement would come from if it has to. Yeah, and they still have a number of young players outside of Aiton and Booker. That really seems to me like the core. They have Kelly Oubre, but he's only under contract for one more year at $15 million after this one also coming off of knee surgery. They've got Mikael Bridges. Sharich doesn't seem like he's necessarily that big a part of, of what they're doing. Uh, you know, he's kind of a low-end starter high-end backup type of player it seems like especially when you consider his defensive limitations yeah and we could we could see Sharich see them do something similar to what Boston did with Kelly Olynyk back in 2017 which is keep his keep his cap hold on the books preliminarily I don't think they're worried about him signing his qualifying offer and then if something better comes along with the cap space and if the cap drops then this becomes a a, a more delicate dance and then if, if if something does then you drop him and if nothing does then you match or you sign him so here's my thought that essentially they're going to have one bite at the apple here they can either take it in this summer or next summer as far as cap space they have what appears to be a very big need at power forward they also with ricky rubio i think have a long-term need at point guard he was an essential player for them this year because he's just such an upgrade on absolutely nothing which is what they've had at point guard uh since the departure of eric bledsoe and they still have major problems at backup point guard as well that was a big reason with rubio on the floor there well into the positive but then that cratered when he was unavailable so you still really need you know if you want to say between Ubre and bridges you've got 
enough on the wing there but you need a long-term four and you need a a, a long-term one on this team and so the question is i mean i think a lot of it will depend on what happens in the draft as well because there are point guards available in this draft how do they feel about those point guards what pick do they end up getting to do they get bumped up in the lottery or not those are questions and then where are you going to spend your money at the power four position there are players available especially because phoenix is one of the few teams that has 20 million or more in cap space that can actually make a real pitch that's presumably they're trying to take the next step and win now i don't know if that's the wisest approach but that's probably what they're going to try and do so there could potentially be some value out there for them at the power forward market but again those are not necessarily long-term solutions those are let's make the playoffs the next couple of years type of solution and just so we have it out there right now the suns would have the the 10th best lottery odds so that's not particularly strong in terms of getting a you know the expected value of the 10th pick is is not is not robust i mean you could get get a rotation player potentially a starter but not you know like a superstar and something else that's been a part of these battle plans is identifying with their core which we would say is, is booker and then Aiton to a lesser extent but well above everybody else is what do you need around them and Aiton had showed some real strides defensively but something else we saw last year was he felt more comfortable playing next to Aaron Baines that's something that that Aiton has talked about including in his Arizona career and that is another way to solve it but the problem there is that if they spend real resources behind it just other than like a patchwork quilt kind of center thing is that you lose some of the benefits of Aiton offensively if he if you're playing him with somebody else assuming you can't get a unicorn center who spaces the floor and protects the rim yeah I think pretty clearly regardless of his wishes and and they tried that for a couple of games and then went away from it with Baines Baines and Aiton starting together so yeah I mean they've you've made this huge investiture at center a position where they probably over invested with the number one overall pick so it doesn't really make a lot ton of sense to now throw more resources at the center position now they you can make the argument that Baines was an important player for them too and they should try to re-sign him uh, but that e- would eat into their 20 million dollars in cap space uh, of course so yeah and, uh, and remember yeah. you talked about the idea of one bite at the apple a really dangerous mistake that I hope James Jones doesn't make is not really taking that bite this year but spending too much money for next season to, it's for 21-22 to basically take away that bite as well. You know, giving Aaron Baines a little bit of guaranteed money, you know, those sor- those sorts of little moves, incremental things, what, using whichever ex- like mid-level room exception they end up having. And that would be a, a big problem that I'm a little bit concerned about. But this isn't the offseason preview. This is more kind of big picture stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Like they have they have two bites. One of those, and, and especially because the Suns want to be competitive next season, which would theoretically mean a worse draft pick. I think that means they need one through free agency and one through the draft. And and then and maybe you get you know multiple shots at each one of those, but really you have two good ones. And it's a lot to take. And, and remember, like Aiden's, Two years away from his raise will be in 2022. Bridges, if he's good enough, will be in 22. Ubre's could be 2021. So it's a, a lot that they have to figure out really fast. So if they do want to go for the, hey, let's try and make the playoffs this year approach, some veteran power forwards, Paul Millsap, 
Danilo Gallinari. Jeremy Grant maybe is the one guy who's young enough that he could fit in. And he does have the advantage of giving them some more perimeter defensive chops as well. You, you could maybe put him on someone like LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard because Bridges and Oubre are probably uh, a little bit too thin for those type of roles. Um, they could go more could, offense with Gallo. Yeah, yeah. Gallo is out there. Marcus Morris is out there. Uh Davis Bertans is young enough to where you could say, hey, we're just going to try and build an amazing offensive powerhouse with pick and roll with Aiton and Bertans spotting up. That would be a thought. He at least, you know, at 27, if you give him a three or four year deal, you can expect that he'll still be productive at the point where Booker and Aiton are ready to win if indeed that comes. And, And I mean, you know, if you don't like Booker or Aiton, too bad. You basically have to build the team on the assumption that those guys would be really good or you're just not going anywhere regardless so yeah that's it's we're, it's, it's, we're not taking that as a given but that's the only option available. it's the it's the analogy of like oh well what would this team do without their star and the answer is they're screwed because that's just the way it works i wouldn't be shocked to see jones sniff around serge abaca because abaca you know, kind of bridges the gap for Eaton, where they both kind of see themselves as power forward so if you put them together maybe they're both happy um i I don't love that fit, especially because Abaka is kind of aging out of the. He'll be aging out of it as Booker and Aiton are getting into it, which I don't love. But yeah, I would. And he becomes less avail, less able to play center or play power forward as time goes on. Exactly. Um. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see you know, especially because Abaka might be trying to get a little bit of leverage, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Suns were a part of that. Another option maybe they could go is sign someone who's more of a a three and just go with a either Ubre or that player, you know, a J. Crowder type, more of a bridge type. Oh, I have, I have, to go, sorry, yeah, I have one ahead. to throw at you. What about yeah. using their cap space on somebody like Fred Van Vliet? Yeah, that would be an interesting one because he can play some two as well. I mean, they wouldn't really have, it's hard to play him and Rubio. Sure, it would be basically and, signing your point guard of the future and present now and then maybe trying to move Rubio just because Rubio is a little bit older. And I think Van Vliet is a better fit long term for what they want out of Booker than, than Rubio is because of his shooting. Yeah, I, I think there, there's something to be said for that, for sure. Um, you know, are you going to go $20 million a year? I mean, I guess when you the alternative is spending that money on Gallo or Paul Millsap or Bertans, especially considering that Van Vliet is only 26, that could be a, pretty appealing. Yeah, I, I kind of like that idea to not just say... Now, of course, that depends, again, what happens in the draft as well. Do they take another point guard in the draft that they think is going to fill that? But the beauty of it is Van Vliet can also play some two, but they have it too in Devin booker him devin booker trying to play up to the three i i wouldn't recommend yeah um but you know you could get away with that on some nights and some lineups agreed um uh, Van Vliet has a lot of versatility anything else in them or do you want to move on to sack well i guess the last question is what do you see that booker and Aiton combo topping out as like i don't see those two guys as the foundation of a team that's getting home court in a typical western conference year i don't see those guys as the foundation of a mid 50s low 50s win team I mean, Booker's getting, you know, he's, he, I think we both gave him all NBA consideration. I don't think he made either of our final kind of final teams as of, you know, the end of the, the hiatus. Yeah. My concern um, is more on the Aiton side than the Booker side. Yeah. I'm not, I, I think that he could get there, but I'm not, I'm not expecting that, you know, that those, because I think with Booker, let's say, I think of him more as like a second, third team all NBA guy rather than a first, second team guy. I think Aiton would have to reach about that same level and he could, but. I don't I it, when the center position is just so stacked and he has to be the defensive linchpin because it's just hard to get that from any other position and 
realistically, if you're not top, let's say top 10 in both or, you know, like top five in one, top fifth, around 15 in the other in offense and defense, it's really hard to get there. And that's, you know, that's rarefied error considering how good the Western Conference usually is. But yeah, I absolutely think they're the foundation of a playoff team, though. Like that, the, I yeah. think they they have a hard time at the borderline between you know fighters' chance in the first round and being a favorite in the first round. Let's turn to our Northern California neighbors, the Sacramento Kings. What does their future salary situation look like here? A lot of it does depend on what happens with Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is a pending restricted free agent, because at first glance, you might look at the their, the Kings 2021-22 books and think, hey, look, they might have something to go there. But when you pencil in money for Bogdanovich, who they've made all indications that they're going to resign, and De'Aaron Fox's $20.2 million cap hold, which, you know, even if he ends up at less than his maximum, he's still going to no, be making... I think it's, it's going to be $24 million. Okay, because uh, it'll be below the uh, the estimated average. Player. Oh, you're right. Yeah, there's that's gonna yeah. he's gonna ramp ramp. Well, we'll see. But yeah, that that is a very reasonable thing. So anyway, so the the Kings are gonna have less space in 21-22 than than you might. Yeah, anticipate. that's true. The, the estimated average player salary could go down a lot. It could. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's complication. And then the Kings, I have them as assuming they're gonna keep Bogdanovich. I I think that they'll function as an over the cap team, though they shouldn't be too worried about the tax. So they are more locked in, I think, than 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 a team of their ilk usually is and that's the consequence of signing Buddy Heald early giving Harrison Barnes as much money and both of those contracts descend which is useful but there's still a lot of money owed to them and that means it's going to be very difficult for Sacramento to really add to this they can they can rely heavily like more, more so than the Suns they have to rely on internal improvement and I like some of the some of the pieces that they have I would say De'Aaron to me De'Aaron Fox is in tier one of their core by himself and it wouldn't surprise me if Vlade has Marvin Bagley there as well but then so that's one oh, oh really the guy the guy you took number two overall in the draft uh, a, a year and a half ago you should you should consider that player as part of your core he's supposed to be good enough but like, tier, but like tier one in your core there, there are differences there no 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 i mean i i'm you're, you're I'm being not, facetious I, i'm not making fun of you i'm making fun of the fact that yeah. uh that pick didn't go so well then the other huge crux so bagley's performance that he, he paralleling the booker eaton thing like if he doesn't deliver then they're functionally screwed uh from a ceiling perspective but the other inflection point here and it seems like Devots has made his opinion by trading Deadman and some of the other moves is healed versus Bogdanovich versus both and it's possible that Bogdanovich as a restricted free agent just his market just caverns enough that it, it doesn't seem like the financial issue that it looks like it will be to me but paying two guys who are most natural at shooting guard or at least not natural with the two and the three together um paying those guys a lot of money combined for years and years to come is a real challenge even if the kings aren't a free agent destination i mean it just this is crying over spilled milk at this point but i think it's important to talk about the context of where they are as a franchise because they really i think are going to be stuck on the treadmill of mediocrity even if De'Aaron fox matures into a regular all-star even all nba type of player again i don't see the path there for them absent something crazy awesome happening for bagley which i just uh, because of his fit issues i i just find that very difficult uh, to believe but i don't see how they get to a team that can realistically be that win a playoff series in the west kind of team because they just they don't have the ammo left right i mean they 27 
17 they had the 10th pick from the cousins trade and they traded it for 15 and 20 and they got justin jackson and harry giles and neither of them are probably going to be on the team after this giles had his fourth year option declined in curious fashion and then 2018 i mean maybe bagley will be like an okay starter for them um and we've talked many times about what the issues with him are and then 2019 they didn't have their pick because of the rajon rondo trade that we talked about in uh, each team's worst decision in the last five years and so it's that's what happens and you just get De'Aaron fox and then whatever kind of relatively mediocre veterans that you can sign with cap space or or re-sign and so you know Corey joseph and re-signing harrison barnes and yeah you might get a hit with rashawn holmes every once in a while but the second star here i just don't see where that player is coming from another reason sacramento is in a much more challenging place than phoenix to me is that some of their support players are older harrison barnes and buddy healed will both have their age 28 seasons in 20 slash 21 so that's a lot older than like mikhail bridges like i think there's more there's more of an argument that mikhail bridges will grow from that bogdanovich actually it'll be his age 28 season as well and that doesn't mean those players are going to suck or they're going to be bad but it will be hard for them to really grow with fox and become something else and they already you know, luke walton could end up being a, a i was a, a decent coach for them i didn't love yeah. year one there's there's a report that uh he and t bots will be back next year yeah i mean considering I don't know at this point what it will take for Vlade to lose his job and Vlade chose Luke. I think that there's 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 something there unless, you know, something happens kind of off the off the court. But yeah, I mean, maybe like, that was probably part of the theory with Giles was, oh, maybe if that works out, like you can get some real value there. And he could be back. Like, we could see a Kavan Looney situation where he comes back for a for a modest price just because the market isn't there. But I don't see that, you know, superstar upside or anything like that with Giles. And I also don't love his fit with Bagley. They're, yeah, they're, to me, they're pretty stuck. Like, I, I really like Darren Fox. I thought that he showed some growth and that the the pathway for them being a playoff team, just a straight up playoff team, might be a little bit cleaner than something just because when they played well, they've been kind of in that range and there were reasons they got sidetracked. But the threshold between seven or eight and four, like the four seed is huge. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's kind of annoying to say this, but as of right now, this is one of the more boring teams out there to discuss because they have that lack of flexibility. Uh, maybe maybe what you do next year is, uh, I mean, because it's tough, right? Like Rashawn Holmes is better than Marvin Bagley right now. There's no doubt about that uh, when you consider his defense. And when also those guys don't fit yeah. together. Like that's... Right, yeah. So so I mean, I, I think that your plan is you start Holmes next year, you bring Bagley off the bench and maybe because you know they tried this thing with Deadman, which i thought was well conceived of we're gonna have a shooting center who can also protect the rim a little bit and that'll open things up for bagley and bagley had this injury hit year maybe we'd be feeling a little differently about him had he played better this season or, or if Deadman had made a shot yeah yeah that that's true too so but maybe if you bring bagley off the bench next year you try to if he starts to really show promise and you're like man this guy needs to be starting he is worth building around then maybe you try to rejigger the roster again 
to make some moves and get that shooting center in or maybe he actually gets it defensively which i think is unlikely but so but you you he hasn't shown enough that you can go in in the next year in a year you're trying to make the playoffs for the first time since 2006 and pencil him as as a starter because the fit with holmes is too bad and holmes is better than him but you can always just keep him off the bench and see if he's just that dominating of a score and then maybe you can you can always audible again to trying to build around him the way they did last year and just give that another shot on the Bogdanovich healed L part of this, is the resolution just get it, Ratch Bogdanovich if he gets a reasonable salary and just figure it out later? Yeah, I think you just bring him back and healed at least has a declining contract. Maybe he'll play better again next year. He's made noise about asking for a trade because he's not starting anymore, but they started playing a lot better as soon as he went to the bench. Uh, do you have a drop dead number on Bogdanovich? You're the king. <sighs> I don't I I don't think 20? I have one. Did you go 20? I don't I wouldn't. I I think it's around 18 for me. Yeah. And Well, it, it, here's my question. It's like What else are you going to spend your money on? Right, right. Like like what is the opportunity cost there of another 2 million bucks? Well, for me, yeah, so I I mean they need someone else who can run a pick and roll on this team besides De'Aaron Fox. Right, and they don't even have a backup point guard of the future on the roster right now they they're paying Corey joseph 12.6 million next year but yeah i mean yeah well jo- joseph has a noah trade clause so he, he may be there in the future regardless right yeah it's it's you're right on that and also the context of sacramento not really being a free agent destination and but i think they're not their hand isn't going to get forced because i there aren't that many teams with space and i'm not envisioning the hawks the hornets the knicks really getting into that some of them could i mean if 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 the Knicks had a different kind of oh, well actually that's interesting because Perry was in the Kings front office I wonder if he feels if he feels any connection there and he would yeah, act- although he he was not there when they acquired correct Robert. correct he was not that his three months did not coincide with that uh but the I mean in some ways you could argue that Bogdanovich would help with RJ Barrett just having somebody who could space the floor and could handle like handling the ball and making good passes is something the Knicks so sorely need but I'm guessing none of the cap space teams are really valuing what Bogdanovich brings so it might just be that things work out for Sacramento and it's not like he has the leverage to demand a sign and trade or because the, those teams aren't going to have a lot of wiggle room under the hard cap and you're hard capped if you acquire somebody via sign and trade so I think that's it's going to work out and so I think it's going to be the number will be 18 million or less but it only ever takes one team and who knows maybe there's a Sean Marks in our midst. Okay, we have three teams remaining in this division, all of whom I would imagine consider themselves championship contenders going into next season. Let's start with the LA Lakers. And it seems like it's basically just pedal to the metal uh, for them uh, as far as just trying to win a championship. We'll see what it ends up happening with this year and whether there is a remainder of this year or not. What do you see as the big decisions facing them as we go forward here? Assuming Anthony Davis is going to come back uh, on, presumably, you know, he may just sign a one-year deal if the cap is lower than people want and then try to sign again in 2021 or 2022, uh, when he, especially in 2022 when he can have well, 10 plus years of experience the, the other reason why he might want to do that is because then that'll align his free agency with lebron so just just from a risk mitigation standpoint yeah. you know in case lebron well, well lebron is is a oh you're talking about for 2021 you mean yes yeah yeah because if lebron you know opts out and i don't think he's gonna leave but if something ha- yeah. if something happens that that would change the way anthony davis thinks about being a laker and i'm not sure that it is i think he's signing to be a laker after lebron james is there 
but it, it could end up affecting it. And the so there are two big questions for me with the Lakers. One is how not how wide is their window because they're a championship contender right now. We 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 know that. But how long is their window? And this is something that's very hard to know. LeBron James will turn 36 in December, and there will be a point when the clock strikes midnight. I don't know when the hell that's going to be. We talked about that in their crystal ball, and that's to me why you're pedal the middle. So that's the first question: is kind of how long does LeBron have it at the level where he can be the best player in a championship team, or can AD get to that level? But then the other one is really the 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 last domino that can fall with this team because they traded so much to get Anthony Davis is Kyle Kuzma. And I think in an, in a perfect world, the Lakers would be good enough. They'd be legitimate enough champion contenders that they could keep Kuzma. And then if he really thrives, they could keep him around. The paying him, you know, the Lakers, the Lakers make so much money. It's not that big a deal, but I think he's a bad fit with where this team is and where they want to go. And also it is so much harder if that, if I'm right, it is so much harder to make that adjustment after this off season when he's extension eligible and he's on a value contract. Yeah. One thing that'll help him to in potentially trading Kuzma is all these next year is that presumably a lot of these player option guys, KCP, Bradley, JaVale, Rondo are going to opt in. And then it becomes easier to match salary. Also, just simply in the offseason with roster slots and stuff, you're not as worried about that. And I mean, one, I'm, they're a championship contender, so this would suck. But one thing that could help them if there isn't a playoffs is we won't see how inessential he is during the playoffs. And therefore, his value could remain a little bit higher. He'll also be making a little bit more money, too. So I do think that that's going to be their last bullet to fire. And you would think that again what they'd be looking for is either one more quality ball handler or another three and d guy along the lines of marcus morris who they in theory pursued but couldn't get which of those two would you be prioritizing it's really hard to get a three and d wing with the mid-level exception there's those players are just so in demand right now that unless they want to roll the dice on somebody at more the gr3 level because then yeah sure you get somebody like that for the mid-level exception that but by the way they assuming the cap is about where it was uh, projected to be they should have enough space to use the full mid-level yeah also depends of course on, on how many of these these opt out uh, some of these guys opt out or not. right ACP, maybe he opts out especially because they'll have a uh, bird rights on him. they will and that could end up being huge for because remember when using the full mid-level you're hard capped and so it doesn't matter if the Lakers are willing to spend an ungodly amount. If they use yeah. the full mid-level, then they cannot. Yeah, they've got, assuming all these player option guys opt in and Anthony Davis re-signs for the max, they would still have about $18 million below the hard cap. So that would be enough likely to use the full mid-level, maybe even use the BAE as well. Yeah, and Also, and- they, they have their 2020 first rounder, which, you know, it's going to be 29th probably, uh, but they can trade that after using it at the draft that was not in the trade they couldn't trade it now because the stepian rule where they have that pick that can go in either 21 or 22 to the pels and so therefore they couldn't trade the 2020 pick now but maybe a package of that pick and kuzma and some matching salary it starts to get you somewhere it could. So you asked me which which I would prioritize. What about you? Ball handler versus 3D wing? Yeah, certainly it depends on uh, the quality uh, of each. And 
I think especially with LeBron you know he's not gonna be able to play at the same level that he played during this regular season for regular seasons going forward here so do you try to package Kuzma and that pick and see what sort of guy you can get that's probably not enough to get you into say the Drew Holiday sweepstakes necessarily but I I mean I think you you ideally want someone who's good enough that yeah we're gonna actually put the ball in this guy's hands to run pick and roll with AD when LeBron is on the bench can maybe do a little bit of ISO scoring as well um I'd have to think a little bit harder about who that player might be though who would really be available in trade and I think also with the uncertain financial situation you could see a lot of players become available ultimately uh that you wouldn't necessarily think were uh, available right now um you know who actually would like kind of be a good fit but they probably don't have the money to match salary for him it would be like a Mike Conley type of guy like that's sort of the, the sort of player I'm thinking of maybe a little bit of a distressed asset but still someone who has a, a lot of ability running pick and roll from a, the point guard position yeah there's there's some merit to that but yeah Conley's salary is really really hard to match so I they would have to throw basically everything that's not nailed down and I'm not even sure that would be enough but as an archetype sure yeah no one uh, I mean Derek Rose is still out there uh, as well I'd like somebody who could shoot a little bit more because you're. I, I agree playing, with you. you you're know, presumably playing like that his... guy with LeBron as well. Yep, yep. I agree, but you know, if it's the cost of the number twenty nine pick, I might consider it. The LeBron Rose thing didn't go too well when they first uh, <laughs> united in Cleveland, though. So in uh, when you and you'd want you'd want somebody who could handle the ball more than somebody like Seth Curry. Like I think Curry fits with LeBron. You know, the idea of what they wanted with Quinn Cook that didn't quite happen. Yeah. But he can't run the show without without LeBron enough. I would say you know who might be a good guy for this team maybe more around a mid-level exception than trading for him obviously because he's a free agent a reunion with Jordan Clarkson would actually make a little bit of sense assuming that he again the uh yet another uh failed LeBron ex-teammate but I think Clarkson has grown some since then another guy that you might consider actually Danny Zach Levine well I'm sorry that someone might consider not you yes (laughs) an important (laughs) clarification to make uh but 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 he only makes 18 million and something along the lines of kuzma in 29 that seems like your relatively fair value for levine it also allows the bulls to kind of break the cycle you know a little bit from where they are puts puts another another kind of another iron in the fire at power forward which would be unusual but interesting for the bulls like you know theoretically if kuzma were involved yeah and levine's Um, from out levine levine went to ucla has connections to the area um but yeah i mean and, and you and i this ties in with with a few of those high usage lower efficiency guys is would it work if they were a smaller cog in a bigger machine and you wouldn't have a better t- andrew wiggins his former you know former teammate was one of these two uh, and you, there wouldn't really be a better test of whether zach levine can be an efficient player than playing him next to lebron james anything else on these guys we got about 50 minutes left here so we probably get move on to the clippers warriors i don't think we'll spend quite as much time on them just because i've had like some very long conversations about the warriors like yeah. i went on anthony slater's podcast within the last month he went on on this show within the last month to talk about the warriors future so i think we please go back and listen to those who want to hear more warriors talk on this um what and, the, and, the, and we could do yeah. the clippers somewhat quickly because yeah their bigger question is what is Steve Ballmer willing to pay? Because Marcus Morris, I think that non-bird rights will be enough for him if 
Balmer is willing to go years. Montrez Harrell, they have sufficient bird rights to bring him back. And theoretically, Jamichael Green could opt out. But also because it is so hard for the Clippers to make other additions, it becomes more incumbent upon them to bring those guys back. Their core is pretty clearly Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and then secondary tier guys of a lot, a lot. So they kind of have to keep it together because they are a legit championship contender. And remember, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard signed two plus ones rather than three plus ones, meaning they can be yeah. Unre- well, jo- George technically, oh, yeah. T- yeah, George was a George was already uh, on it a three plus one, but it, it, as it turns out, w- when he came to the Clippers within an elapsed year, yeah. yeah. And so that means both those guys can be unrestricted in the summer of 21 if they want to be. And for various financial reasons, one or both of them probably will. And part of it is keeping them happy, staying competitive. And another part of it is just making the most of the opportunity that you have. And nothing is forever. And so they they probably are just going to keep it together because there isn't another credible path unless they want to do something more bold like moving Beverly or Lou Williams. But again, they like kind of like the Lakers, they don't have a ton in the way of matching sets salary and in the way of of assets because they have traded so much to build the team they have yeah they cannot trade a first round pick now until the 2021 draft with all the trades that they have made to okc yeah i think shaman is someone who still has some value for them you mentioned what happens with the free agency of harold and morris i think of all the NBA owners, Steve Ballmer is the most likely to really pay a ton of money. I would say even more than the Lakeubs at this point. And more than theoretically, I would say even maybe more than Mark Cuban because Mark Cuban's already won a title and Ballmer hasn't. And he's building a new arena, hopefully. Yeah, and and Cuban also is just their team's not in that position to where they'd be adding a ton of salary either. Sure. Um, and th- the Lakers and the Warriors are really more dependent. I mean, they have massive incomes. Maybe if the Knicks were ever good, <laughs> you might say that that would be close because they, they have paid a lot in the past. But no, it seems very clear that Ballmer, uh, he is the richest NBA owner and he is also just shown a willingness to spend a lot of money to revamp the organization he just bought the forum for 400 million dollars essentially to facilitate a new arena so well, he is so, definitely seems so, like he's something all in. i wanted to yeah. ask you with them there there again there aren't as many decision points with the clippers as there are with other teams marcus morris I believe the the non bird rights the maximum starting salary is eighteen million because he got fifteen right, and yeah. then it's twenty percent raise. Let's say he's he says the only way I'll come back is if it's a a three plus one because it can't be a five year deal using non bird rights. Would you give him that uh, three plus one starting at starting at eighteen million dollars with uh with five percent raises? Well, if he really uh, where is his leverage to get that deal elsewhere? Fair point, but I'm saying theoretically in a, in a world where he has that leverage would you be willing to pay that man i think i ultimately would just would bite the bullet and do it because of that issue you talked about with george and Leonard potentially being free agent that and and this is this is the year you're i mean he's worth that contract in the first year i would say given the way that he's played and Um, maybe the second yeah and you know that's just the nature of of free agency i i would swallow hard i might investigate other options to get that sort of player on the trade market as well i'd see what the was going on with the mid-level exception because if they don't bring him back then they could probably use the full mid-level which if they do bring him back you're looking at more likely the taxpayer mid-level if anything and, and they could make some moves too like they could try to pawn rodney mcgruder off on someone for a second round pick maybe they decide that that lou williams doesn't fit as well anymore they, they could move on from him even though he's a he's a quality contract right now but yeah that, that's an interesting question uh i don't think he's gonna have that type of an offer of 
revealed. Right, and it's true that it's an unusual negotiating position for Morris because the team can't really replace him, but he has to have some sort of offer on the table because it's you can't, I mean, most of the time, you can't negotiate against nothing and win. And so I, I could imagine that being a little bit of a problem. But the, I think the Lawrence Frank and, and Balmer and all that would want to kind of do right by him. You wouldn't want to antagonize Marcus Morris by giving him just really squeezing too hard because we've seen that happen before. <laughs> Though some of that was Marcus's own fault with how he split how he split that Lon Babby negotiated contract with his twin brother, and Marcus Morris ended up being one of the best non-rookie, non-minimum values in the entire league for a meaningful portion of his career. I actually think that Harold to me is the more interesting question. I think Harold is Harold for me, Morris is more interesting because I think he's a more logical part of the closing five than Harold, but it's true that having full bird rights makes Well, that's why Harold's more interesting. I think there's more clearly Morris you're gonna bring him back. Harold, on the other hand, and not having the benefit of a playoffs to see how his defense holds up, for example, also a guy who's undersized, very reliant on athleticism. It could be a guy who declines a little bit earlier than your typical aging curve might indicate. Also, though, not a guy I see as getting like massive offers. I think he's looking for something in the $20 million a year, and I think he may end up more around a mid-level exception well, type of money. And Harold next year will be his age 27 season, and there's a a general rule that I've adopted over the last couple of times, which is players who end up getting kind of less than you'd expect on a contract that often ends up being like when it seems like there might be more there that that ends up kind of becoming true for them because they're just maybe it's just that the things are less robust and Harrell doesn't fit everywhere he and even the teams that like him I'm I wouldn't be shocked if they just don't really want to pay him so then you know like who's going to give him more than the non-taxpayer mid-level and there aren't even that many teams that are going to use the non-taxpayer mid-level so argue him arguing that he should get more than 10 to like that he could get 15 million a year it's like who's gonna give him that no one hey maybe the knicks will give him a uh oh, a two minus one he, he can play he can play right next to julius randall for them oh, please um, don't speak that into existence tonight <laughs> yeah of the cap space teams atlanta they got plenty of centers now i actually think he wouldn't be a bad fit in charlotte if they're sure. trying to take a step forward but that, that but if they're i i mean that would be a very short-sighted move considering how far they are but it wouldn't shock me yeah well let's see how much it costs them too sure um you know detroit is another one too where those are the two i don't know exactly what type of mode they're gonna be in as far as like are we trying to take a step forward quickly it seems like detroit has embraced rebuilding charlotte kind of embraced it this year because they had no choice Kemba walker left are they still gonna do that as well they only have a 26 million in space but yeah that it's i mean harold could be a an option for a team that just really needs to get better offensively and center is probably the cheapest position to find offense at so I, I could see it happening maybe but maybe they just view him as part of the core I mean he's only made probably you know 15 million bucks in his career so he's gonna be I would imagine looking for the biggest possible payday I would agree with that let's do let's do the Warriors briefly I mean we know what their core is when they're healthy and the question of how Andrew Wiggins fits in with that core will be a definitive question for the 2020 slash 21 Warriors unless they use Wiggins as the biggest piece of salary flotsam that has probably ever really existed in the NBA. I, I mean, Wiggins will make $29.5 million next year. That is a lot to try to... And, and the Warriors, uh, like some of the other teams, don't have any middle salaries. So it's hard for them, other than using the Iguodala trade exception, eventually to maybe cycle into another player around that price tier. It gets harder to make some of these things work. And 
they're the other reason why they're less kind of less interesting to talk about than the two LA teams is that I would argue they have even less flexibility. So oh, I, I th- how are they less interesting to talk about those? They're more interesting. They've got like all these assets. They got the yeah. Trades, they I guess like, if they're the, like the most interesting offseason in the whole NBA. No, if they if they use if they have possibilities, but I don't I don't know that they're going to go. Yeah, I guess I should I should rephrase. Um, they they have possibilities, but those possibilities involve spending an ungodly amount of money. And I am this. I think this will be the first time I've said this publicly. I am a little bit dubious that they're actually going to do it. Yeah, I, I, that that I I understand. Well, let, let's say cost is no object here for a second. To me, the most interesting question about them is: Are you going all in to win a championship in the next two years? I think that's realistically the possible contention. I mean, it could be that Clay and Draymond just aren't even good enough anymore when they come back next year to make this realistic to begin with. But let's say those guys are still okay, at least in a playoff setting. You got a two-year window. Are you going to use your assets, which are your own future draft picks, which is the Minnesota pick in 2021 that we said is the best pick that is owed out there right now. And of course, uh, their pick, which will probably be uh, almost certainly somewhere in the top five, although we won't find out for a little while because the lottery just got postponed. So are you using those assets to try to get better right now? Or are you going to say, hey, you know what? Like, let's, yeah, it'd be nice, but we're going to bring in some rookies and yeah, they can help us out here. And maybe we're still good enough to be in championship contention, but we won't be a favorite for two years but at least we now have a bridge to the future uh of the next era of warriors basketball in 2025 or whatever that decision is so much more complicated because of how bad this draft is you know it it feels a lot more it's a lot more tolerable if that player can be a useful role player to the upside of a solid starter over those years and then maybe they eventually become a star but even if it's a top let's say let's say it's the the two three or four pick because I, I haven't watched ball yet so i can't speak to him but i have watched a lot of most of the other real contenders in those two three four ranges i don't think any of those guys does a lot for the warriors in the near term or really that they have a ton of superstar potential so then the argument gets a lot harder because it's like well if they're not giving you the what you what you're drafting them for then why are you kicking the can down the road especially when they have these unusual forms of salary matching they can use the iguodala trade exception if they have a target that is in the 17 million or less range there aren't that many of those or they could use wiggins maybe a combination of the two some of their other players to try to get there and consider you and i have wiggins as significantly negative salary even if he's not as bad as it was a couple years ago i just why i why i have challenges with the warriors they have it's a lot of possibilities but when you really get down to brass tacks of what can let's say wiggins and that draft pick get you i don't think that there's that you know like some teams will be intrigued for sure but it's i don't think it's going to be like a lynch like you know a, a, a a really important like central player of a potential now the Warriors are a real title favorite rather than a fringe contender yeah and maybe what you could say too is we've got this young guy we're going to draft the best player available and there is going to be some amount of driving the new car off the lot syndrome 
with that player. Well, especially with well, the Warriors. Yeah. Right, right, right. Because he's not going to be, you know, like a big focal point like he might be in others. But we'll still have that guy. He's still an asset. Also, it, it helps that he's making his salary so that can be used for salary, salary matching. And let's just like see how Clay and Draymond are and let's get an idea. If we're if it looks like, holy shit, like Clay and Draymond are, are have shown enough that we really believe in them in the playoffs, we could be a championship contender with one more piece, then maybe you make the move. Maybe that's the play here even if you don't get quite as much value as you might get now there's also the issue of that 17 million dollar trade exception is kind of use it or lose it what they might end up doing there i have the uh, the other theory countering the yeah not going to spend it is they trade for somebody more with they try to trade for the most neutral value contract they can get where they don't give up assets to get that player but yeah. that they're more they're more filler than anything, and and that would be their way of kicking the can down the road. And maybe that player ends up not being the full seventeen million. Maybe it's ten or twelve or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you'd be they'll be in the tax, so you know you would get someone at eighty percent of that seventeen million, and you don't actually hurt your flexibility at, at all. Um, if you wanted to then trade him for someone making up to seventeen million, or you can go the James Johnson approach. Who I, I realize he's significantly negative salary, but uh, and then you could try to flip him for an Aaron Gordon type maybe someone who makes a little bit more miles turner that sort of player there are players who are making like you know 18 or 19 that give you a, a lot more options than if you only have this you're strictly limited to the seven right um all right let's uh pack it in here thanks so much for listening please don't forget to check out the covid daily news podcast uh, i talked yesterday a lot about whether children can transmit the virus uh, or not and hopefully y'all can uh give that a listen i, I think most people who have tried it have thought it's really good i realize it's not uh our normal bailiwick uh, to be sure i do that with uh ben taylor of thinking basketball uh, you have anything you want to talk about before we go here i have a couple things that are close but i'll talk about them when they're up sounds good all right we'll talk to y'all tomorrow till then